Welcome to WH Unscripted. This is Rudy Brandel, Director of Communications and Publications. Uh, this is our fourth episode of our initial year uh, on the air. And my guest today is Mr. Chris Tier, our Director of College Counseling. Welcome, Chris. Good morning, Rudy. Uh, Chris, you know, um, I've been wanting to have you on this show because uh, you're a wonderful voice. And I think <laughs> I think we're going to boost our ratings w- with you on, on this podcast. You know, um, I guess we'll start with, you know, your resume really looks like a phone book. I mean, <laughs> you've been in so many places working in various capacities and you've got tons of work experience. I mean, I remember, you know, uh, you coming here when you represented Drew University and we're speaking to our students and now you're we're on our side of the, of the ballpark. And uh, I guess, you know, your perspective in answering this question should be very interesting because of your vast experience. What do you enjoy most about coming to work at Wardlaw Hartridge every day? The, uh, the quality of the community. Um, I have worked in schools uh, most of my long career, starting in the fall of 1980 at the original school of Philadelphia. And um, uh, I've been blessed to work uh, in great schools in Europe, uh, in the Caribbean, in other locations uh, in the United States. Um, and I've never been in a school where there is um, uh, safety, um, an ability to put yourself out in front of the entire community uh, the way I find it here. The senior speeches, uh, I've been in schools for decades and I've never been in a place where seniors will stand up in front of the entire upper school, students, faculty, staff, parents, and speak about some of what they've been through in their young lives. And it, it speaks to um, uh, a humanity at this place that makes it a great place to come to work. I think very well said. You know, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think in the last couple of years, particularly now since, you know, you've been here about a year, mm-hmm. these speeches have taken on, you know, a more serious tone. Um, they're really warmly received by the entire community, whether it's, you know, a teacher, an advisor, an administrator, parents who come Mm -hmm. in to to listen, the students themselves are often, I know, touched by some of these uh, topics. And, you know, they they take place in in a beautiful art center, which is also added sort of a different, they used to be in the AP room, much like our performances and our concerts and all that. So, um, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, Chris, you're obviously a very well-traveled professional. Um, what are some of the finest places in the world that you have visited? That I visited and have worked. You can yeah. answer it, you know, with both sort of hats on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the you know, visited uh, when I was in college. I was blessed to be part of the Amherst College Glee Club, and we went on a six and a half week uh, tour to Europe, North Africa, and the Middle East. So, as a young man, um, I was able to you know, see the pyramids, the Sphinx, uh, a young John Paul II at Vatican City, uh, sing for the royal family and Monte Carlo and talk with the late Grace Kelly. Um, wow. So uh, and sing High Mass in Notre Dame, sing in Mont Saint-Michel, you know, sing for Menachem Begin and <clears throat> the members of the Knesset in Israel. So I've been, I've had a very blessed life um, in terms of places I've worked, um, you know, to be in Brussels, Belgium at the time of the reunification of Germany, uh, the beginnings of the European Union, um, 
that was a remarkable experience in the early 90s, but more than a decade on St. Thomas and the U.S. Virgin Islands and doing work with schools on St. John and St. Croix. That was a blessing, particularly as we sit here in February and look out at gray skies. Um, <clears throat> the uh, weather there right now is considerably better. <laughs> <I'll bet. laughs> Although it's been a little balmy in New Jersey this winter. You yeah, know? yeah. I hear no, a lot of students uh, pining for a, a snowstorm. Well, you know, but, you know, I mean, Super Bowl Monday, I could have done with a snow day. Yeah, you know, yeah. Was, we had one a couple of years ago. It was, yeah, it was great. It'd be just fine. <laughs> But, you know, the, it, it's also, you know, I've worked in Brooklyn, New York. I've worked in Philadelphia, as I mentioned. I've, you know, worked up uh, north of Boston and then worked for Drew University before I came here to Wardlaw on the other side of the desk. You know, I also, back in the mid-80s, ran off to join the circus and did, uh, you know, was a television anchorman out of the Midwest uh, and, uh, for a CBS station there after working for Channel 2 behind the scenes. And I've done radio work to try to explain the college process and blogged for Forbes uh, and, you know, written a newspaper column in the islands, all trying to leverage those journalistic skills to help people in a broader way understand how the college process works. So I, I you know, I just have to look at, uh, you know, my career is a very fortunate one. Well, you've provided a wonderful segue to what was actually going to be my next question, even though this is supposedly unscripted, and that is uh, maybe you can address what some of the greatest challenges are in today's college admission landscape. I mean, you've seen it you know, now with your vast experience on very different sides, but also you've seen the evolution of it and how different it is today in 2020 than it was you know, in 1980 or the years when you, know, right. when you went to college. I mean, right. maybe you can right. talk a little bit about some of those challenges uh, today. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I first visited a college for myself in 1975, and I took younger brothers on their college tours in the late 70s and early 80s, and I was first paid to be a college counselor in the 1982-83 school year. So there are young men from that school in Philadelphia who are now in their 50s whom I helped through this uh, process, and some of them still talk to me. Um, <laughs> the... Uh, the first year I was a, formally a college counselor was the year that U.S. News and World Report started ranking colleges and doing a profound disservice to the attempt to help individual, unique young people in partnership with their parents find the right next step for them in their young lives, places that will help them thrive, grow, and graduate. And feel better about themselves and more equipped for adult life at age 21 or 22 than they are at 17 or 18. But, you know, turning everything into a matter of general rankings, which have nothing to do with anything other than how many kids they reject, how high their SAT scores are, and how much money they have in terms of institutional resources <clears throat> has been a profound disservice. Um, it's also been the case that the um, cost of college has far outpaced um, increase in wages. And along with that, the crisis in student debt with well over a trillion dollars, young people saddled with money to try to pay for college. It costs so much, it's so badly understood, and yet it is so very important that 
students and their parents need as much help as possible to try to find the right fit, value for money, return on investment, but also do it in a way that's not purely about the money. It's also about education and human development and a realization of potential over the course of, you know, what will hopefully be a, a long adult lifetime. I mean, I graduated college almost 40 years ago. Right. And, and I've lived in different places. I've done different jobs. And my own educational journey from Summit High School to Amherst College to Columbia University's Journalism School to St. John's College Graduate Institute in Liberal Education and then throughout the career has been constantly about learning and having the skills to continue to learn. And so it's a multidimensional process that, you know, we have to help young people and their parents navigate. So I try to do the best I can to do precisely that. Well, you know, you are in a position, um, you know, with your job in this school where you are dealing with people sort of at the finish line. And a lot of people that talk about, you know, investing in an education like this, one of the values of it is the attention you get from the college counseling office, the college counselors, and the, you know, the basically going through the process that so many people, students, parents, find so stressful. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that, just the pressure of dealing with that, you know, on a regular basis, especially at certain times when there's sort of a, you know, a high tension period. And what are some of the things that you, you know, and your department do well to sort of alleviate that for for the parents and students in our community? Well, I hope we do it well. We certainly try. Um, One of my uh, uh, absolute pledges is always to I will talk with any parents or any student at any point they want to have a conversation. Um, Sometimes people, um, you know, feel that the college counselor, you know, should not be talking with middle school parents or lower school parents. I'll talk with any parents at any time because they are making an investment and they do deserve an understanding of where this is headed. And, um, so we're, we don't do a lot of formal programming for the, the parents of younger children, but whenever anybody calls me or emails me, we try to put together a meeting as soon as we possibly can to try to help people understand where all this is headed in terms of, uh, and I'm soon, uh, having, um, coffee with middle school parents uh, at the initiative of Karina Kraft and uh, the middle school director. Um, the uh, formal programming uh, in the upper school starts with a jump start to college right away, the beginning of ninth grade, students and parents sort of laying out what the upper school experience is going to look like. We do programming uh, with the 10th graders. We've uh, uh, allowed them and encouraged them to come meet with college representatives. About 120 of them visit us every fall. And when the sophomores have free periods, they are encouraged to join those meetings. Um, We uh, work uh, this year with the 10th and 11th graders. We uh, made sure all of them took not only the PSAT, the precursor to the SAT, but also the formal pre-ACT 
which has not done been done with, with the actual pre-SAT in the past, because some students do better on the SAT, some do better on the ACT, and I want them to have exposure to both before they refine their test prep and their plan. In the fall of 11th grade, uh, at the beginning of the second trimester, we begin a college counseling course where we meet with students in small groups and with the full grade three times over the course of every two weeks. Um, we take the 10th grade in the spring to visit colleges. We took everyone to see Drexel, TCNJ. We also walked from Drexel next door over to Penn. Uh, in the fall of 11th grade, we have another trip. This year, we took the juniors to see Lehigh and Muhlenberg. The idea here being showing them different types of schools, TCNJ being a public in-state suburban medium-sized option, Drexel being a large urban private option, Muhlenberg being a classic liberal arts college, Lehigh being um, a medium-sized uh, private institution that's set away from the city as opposed to those that are closer. So they get different types, and then we start refining the process for the juniors. I'm meeting individually. Russ Althaus, the associate director, is meeting individually with every single junior to try to refine their own experience and start building a list for research. And then we will soon have those students in with their families, the adults in their lives, to further refine it. And then by May, we'll have them filling out the common application. We'll have them starting to draft their main essays. They'll go off into the summer with more visits, more test prep. And then we'll write recommendations for them over the summer. And then they'll come back in the fall and they'll meet with college representatives and they'll file, the, file their applications. It really, I mean, it really is a year-round process. And there's a ton of, sounds like, and I know there is a ton of personal attention, both at the student level and at the parent level. So, um, and that's something you can do at a school of this size, which I think is, is, is sort of a luxury for, for everyone, not just the, the students and the parents, but also for you guys, because you get to know everyone better. And I feel like you do have a clear sense of who everyone is. And that obviously helps inform, you know, your guidance of them as to where you think they're going to fit best. Ultimately, it's their decision, but I know you guys are certainly pointing them in the right direction. Yeah, and, and I, you know, the one uh, totally agree with all of that, with the exception of one word, you know, use the word luxury, um, I'd say necessity, <laughs> right. because it does take a real deep dive for young people to look at themselves, what they're good at, what they like, what they're not so good at, what doesn't work for them, you know, the places they've been, the courses they've had try to understand themselves more fully as young adults, um, trying to make the first significant decision of their young lives. Um, you know, most kids have no choice about where they go to school. It's where they live or where their parents enroll them. But when you start talking about the college process, they have a lot more to say about it. And in order to make informed choices, they need to do a real dive into mm -hmm. their own personal experiences to develop a gyroscope to orient themselves, you know, to choose well among all their many options. Is there a general piece of advice, just in a nutshell, that you could give for parents and students navigating this very challenging and often stressful process? Yeah, I, 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 I got all <laughs> kinds have, of advice. We have enough time. No, I mean, just <laughs> something, you know, reasonably, yeah. you know, sort of succinct that, you know, that, 
really just would sort of summarize what, you know, as a college counselor, you know, you would advise a student and or a parent, you know, when they're about to go through this. Um, When I coached lacrosse uh, years ago, um, I used to say to my players, pick up the next ground ball, which means do the next thing right in front of you. It may may seem simple, but it will be part of building over time success. When I worried about the banner in the gym and the championship, the team fell apart. When I worried too much about I have to get into this school or that school, you know, I think students misunderstand the, the way this is done best. If you do each thing, one thing at a time, and work with your teachers, your college counselor, your parents, you can build toward the right kind of ex- success. And the results have a way of taking care of themselves if you do the process right. And that process starts with things as simple as turn off your phone and get enough sleep every night. I, I see right. too many kids who are on their phones too much. They have them on at night. They, their sleep is disturbed. The worst thing you can do is be looking at your phone right before you go to sleep. We know what it does to brain chemistry. And with my own daughters, who are now in their 20s, the youngest I just saw this past weekend, who's a junior at Georgetown, just back from a successful uh, study abroad semester in Buenos Aires. Oh, nice. (laughs) I I used to take her phone at 9 o'clock at night and just say, you know, read uh, a book and go to sleep. And, you know, she would sleep from 9.30 to 6.30 and I would wake her up with breakfast in bed. There you go. Oh, wow. You know, <laughs> I'll as, sign up for that. You know, as, as <laughs> a 9.30 you know. to 6.30 party well, without the know, But they, they, they just, I mean, the kids don't get enough sleep yeah, no, for their own don't. brain development. They and, and they are doing things that are getting in their own way that are really simple. Right. Well, no, I, I think the pick up the next ground ball is actually great life advice in general. I mean, for this process, obviously it qualifies. Uh, but I think in general, I think people just need to worry about the next thing. Um, all right, now I'll put you on the spot. Tell me something about yourself, Chris, that maybe uh, members of this community don't know and would find interesting. Brother. Um, (laughs) you know, I mean, I already talked about the television anchorman thing and the radio stuff. And, and actually when Andrew Farman, uh, took the tape of my last night on the news and digitized it and then put it on ramp center some people <laughs> in the community got a laugh out of that um uh you know maybe that um it, that when i went off to college you know i went very much with the idea of playing football because i had played quarterback for summit high school um and, you know, wanted to play uh, that sport in college and was fortunate enough to have the chance to do it. Um, but I also started a brand new sport, um, which was lacrosse, and ended up being the starting goalie as well as the starting quarterback. Um, oh, wow. So yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, you know, it was a long time ago. And, you know, the, the level of play at Amherst has increased to the point where I wouldn't get on the field anymore. But back in the day, I could be a starter in two sports. 
but I also, you know, went there and heard the Amherst College Glee Club, and I'd never sung a note worth hearing prior to that because I was always trying to sing the tenor lead in Beach Boys songs, and obviously my voice <laughs> is, yeah. not, is not built for no. falsetto, and somebody <laughs> explained to me that I was a bass, and I ended up singing for three years, and it was probably the single most... I don't know, rewarding um, experience and a total surprise. I had no idea. The other thing is, you know, I went to, you know, what some people regard as one of the best liberal arts colleges in the nation at Amherst. But the best course I took over those four years was a mile away at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst when I took a course called History of Civil Rights with Julius Lester. And he had been in the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee playing his guitar to start rallies back in Mississippi in the 60s for Eldridge Cleaver and Stokely Carmichael. And that was a truly remarkable experience. Somewhat related to that, um, <clears throat> I do tell people then this is true, that I went to kindergarten and early elementary school in Summit with a, a wonderful uh, friend at the time named Tracy Morrow, uh, who is known to the world these days as Ice-T. And um, oh, so, wow. so there, there, there's your summit. <laughs> wow, trivia. we got a lot of fun facts. Yeah, there. <laughs> yeah, there, there's your summit trivia. Ice, Ice T went to Brayton School. I did not know that. There wow. Oh my God. All right. Well, so now we, we always end these segments with a sort of a rapid fire uh, little uh, sort of list of favorite things. So, Chris, vanilla or chocolate, or what is your favorite ice cream flavor? You know, uh, chocolate is my favorite. However, the doctor told me to cut it out. Uh, <laughs> looking at my sugar uh, and my weight. <laughs> All right. Well, player musical favorite uh, or favorite theater productions. Oh goodness. Well, there, you know, there are so many, I used to be a big Shakespeare fan. Um, but probably in recent years, um, it would have to be Hamilton, uh, and, and the remarkable rediscovery of an essential founding father with an incredible story. Mm -hmm. Okay. Fiction or nonfiction. Favorite book? Ew, boy. Um, you know, I was an English major, and so I was a great reader of novels when I was young. And, you know, I made my way through War and Peace in 1983 and had great courses in Russian literature. So, you know, Crime and Punishment and, and others, Once Upon a Time, were huge for me. Uh, in recent years, I've read a lot more um, nonfiction um, Jill Lepore's These Truths um, was fabulous last year. John Meacham's The Soul of America. Um, but I recently read two novels set on St. John and the Virgin Islands <laughs> that my wife had enjoyed. You need a little and, winter escape. Well, yeah. <laughs> and and, and the, the writer, you know, nailed exactly how crazy life is down there so you know those were a delight too i went on a vacation there and a family vacation in the 80s and uh -huh. still want to get back there one of these days um comedy or drama and your favorite movie yeah boy um you know i love both we need both um <laughs> sure do you know we need a little more comedy i think but yeah right now right now we surely do um <laughs> Well, years, some years ago, I had a senior who was stressed out beyond belief going into her fall SATs because she was a super achiever. 
And she told me on Thursday that she was going to study more Friday night before the test. And I said, no, you're not. Um, I said, here, I got a movie that I uh, need you to watch tomorrow night. Uh, it's a documentary of my college experience. And I think it'll really set you up nicely for the SAT on Saturday. And I handed uh, her my copy of Animal House. Um, <laughs> which came out <laughs> the year I was living in the Delta Kappa Epsilon house um, <clears throat> and sort of captures a certain insanity yes. that uh, puts it all that is in, a classic. In, in, in perspective. Uh, um, the, you know, in terms of drama, um, we've been watching Greenleaf on cable right mm -hmm. now and also Grace and Frankie, you know, for the drama and then the hilarity. Um, but favorite dramatic movie? I mean, for years, it was always Casablanca, yeah. uh, which is a bit of a cliche, but, you know, uh, holds up beautifully whenever I see it. How about uh, classical or rock and roll? You strike me as a rock and roll guy, but maybe I'm wrong. And I, I, I'm sort of eclectic. I mean, uh, I play WQXR classical all day long in my office um, because I just enjoy um the, that genre at that time of day, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I can certainly play some rock and roll and, you know, a, a great Springsteen fan. I went to Springsteen on Broadway, but also of Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes. Now we're Jersey uh, guys. Of course, Jer we got to, you, you know, know like you, those you guys got to right? be loyal. But, right. you know, recently we went to see David Byrne, um, you know, the leader of uh, the Talking, Talking Heads, Heads right. you know, yep. we went to see American Utopia. And so, burning down the house uh, works too. And, and you know, in the evening, sometimes jazz standards. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, I was a huge Sinatra fan for years. I've kind of come off of that. But um, Michael Buble, uh, Diana Krall. Mm. How about favorite foods? Um, you know, increasingly, it's been salads with protein. <laughs> You know, when you get to a certain age, you got to sort of oh, I know change I, your diet I, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, you know, I'm for, getting there. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I I don't know when the last time I had a cheeseburger was. I mean, I literally can't remember. And when I was the age of you know the young people with whom I work every day, you know, I could eat three Big Macs. You know, and I'd, <laughs> I'd be hospitalized if I did that again. <laughs> Um, all right, I saved this one for last. I, I know some of these answers, but I feel it'll be a good way to wrap this up. Favorite sport and favorite sports team or teams? Yeah, you know, my uh, my dad got his uh, New York football giant tickets from his brother-in-law of the time, Pat Summerall, in 1959, and took me to my first game in 1966, and I saw uh, – the Giants win the only game they won that entire year. And then 20 years later, my dad and I went to Super Bowl XXI at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena and watched the Giants win their first Super Bowl. Um, when the Giants beat the Patriot, the undefeated Patriots in the Super Bowl, it was my father's 80th birthday. Um, he passed away a few years ago. Um, Monday would have been his 92nd wow. birthday. And so, you know, it's got to be the New York football giants, though recently I've been calling them the pygmies because <coughs> they would be something other than giants. Oh, I, I do enjoy, you know, the Monday morning banter we have during the NFL season, you know, because I'm admittedly a Cowboys fan, and I know that's like the evil empire to you giants folks. No, so, I don't. I don't well, listen, I, you've won more Super Bowls lately than we have, so no, it's, it's hard for me to criticize I, the, I, the giants these I, days. Yeah, I'm not a hater. You know, I, I'm just, I, I, you know, I've never hated the Cowboys. The only time I 
I rooted for him was when Parcells was down there, you know, and because and, I have such regard for him as a coach. Right, but, yeah. you know, I, I mean, I, I lived in Philadelphia most of the 80s. I was thrilled when the Eagles won because I, I had all these guys in their 50s that I not only taught, but I coached. You mm-hmm. know, like the first quarterback I ever coached, a guy named Brian McCluskey, he went to her sinus, had a nice small college career, went back to Penn Charter, and the last quarterback he ever coached was Matt Ryan, oh. you know, who went on to Boston College and then the Atlanta Falcons. And right. so, you know, I, you know, I, you know, I, I am worried about you know the you know CTE and the impact on players' long term health. But these days, they know what they're getting into, and if that's the choice they make. At least they're informed about the risk. Well, Chris, I want to thank you very much for joining joining us on WH Unscripted. I enjoyed having you. It was great to learn more about you. I had no idea you were a college quarterback, so <laughs> a new level of respect for you now. Well, <laughs> some days worked out better than others. Anybody who can do that and, and sing in a glee club, you know, you know, over in Italy, I mean, you know, you're very well-rounded, so it's been a pleasure, and it's great having you part of our community, and I hope everyone's enjoyed the episode, and uh, we'll see you next time. All right. Thank you, Rudy.